This is Mike Wilbon from ESPN's Pardon the Interruption, and I'm speaking with Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Rhino 2015 and 2016 called, and Jake Arrieta is back. Do you think it's going to be the same guy, or do you think, uh, what do you think, any, any gas left in that tank? Man, I hope so, Chad, because couldn't we use 2015 Jake Arrieta? Can we yes. turn back the hands of time just for one season on this one-year deal? I know that the fans are excited, Chad, but as you said, is it going to be the Jake that we saw once upon a time, or is this a new Jake that we're just hoping can maybe every now and then have a, a flash of greatness? So much to talk about. We're going to break down how the rest of the rotation uh, sets up. We're going to talk about the some new news around uh, the Cubs uh, schedule at Wrigley Field and also some compass, uh, capacity news uh, for spring training. Uh, we're going to talk about that and what that's going to look like, plus some projections for uh, how uh, the number crunchers think the Cubs are going to finish here in this upcoming campaign. Absolutely. And of course, we have part two of our interview with Michael Wilbon from ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. So stick around because the friendly confines starts right now. Hey guys, it's Sylvie from Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my guys, Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines. Hi everybody, he's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lieber. Let's start as we always do, Chad, and that being in the first inning and the Cubs making some major news over the weekend. And of course, bringing back a familiar face, it's someone you and I had spoken about in previous episodes about the potential possibility of this player coming back and he is officially coming back. Former Cy Young Award winner Jake Arrieta is now going to be part of the Chicago Cubs signing a one-year $6 million deal to bring him back to the north side after playing the last three in Philadelphia. Chad, just initial thoughts on bringing Jake back into the fray and back into the Cubs organization. Here's what I love about it. Swagger, energy, focus, intensity. I mean, that's what Jake's going to bring does he have anything left in the tank in terms of the ability to dominate? I'm not really sure. You know, his fastball's down a few miles an hour. Um, you know, he's not the same pitcher. But but then again, nobody is the same pitcher he showed us for a very glorious time in 15 and 16. And so, you know, it's it's going to sell some jerseys. It's, it's, it's different, right? It's a different energy than John Lester, a different intensity, which I'm excited about. Uh, where does he fit in with the lineup? You know, will will he slot in? Will he be the second most valuable? Will he be a third most valuable pitcher? I'm not really sure, um, but I'm excited that that he that he has the opportunity to come back and prove something to a fan base that absolutely idolizes him. Yeah, and you know, listen, on the surface, it's gotten a lot of people excited, as you just said. You know, he's somebody that is a fan favorite. People love him. He meant so much to this organization from 2014 to 2017 and you know provided so much for this franchise to get to a world championship and certainly was the most dominant pitcher in baseball uh, in 2015 does he have anything left in the tank as you said I mean the last three seasons have not gone very well for him he has not been able to stay healthy but we all know something about Jake is that he's a great presence in the locker room He's somebody who is certainly going to come to camp in shape. 
And if he can stay healthy, he's certainly going to give the Cubs a different look as far as what they're going to show from a rotation standpoint. So if nothing else, from what has been a dismal offseason, it certainly is giving the Cub fans like you and I at least something to get a little bit excited about as we enter the 2021 season. Absolutely. And, and Jake, the last Cubs pitcher to win a postseason game. So hopefully we can bring some of that magic back. Let's move on to the second inning. So I touched on it for just a second, Rhino. What do you think or how do you think the rotation is going to play out? Where do you think the chips will fall? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Chad. Like I was thinking a lot about this because now we have about six, seven, maybe eight guys that are vying for a spot in the rotation. So if I had to look at this and go through the, the five-man rotation really quick, right, we all can agree that Hendricks is going to be number one. But who's going to be number two? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, Chad, that Jake could slot into that number two spot and be that guy who's going to look a little different from a guy who's not throwing off-speed pitches. Three, I think we're looking at Zach Davies. Um, four, we're looking at Alec Mills. And then five or six, remember, we're going to be seeing a, a Five, or rather a six-man rotation, you're looking at an Albert Azale or, uh, you know, uh, like a Terrence Williams who's going to be able to come in and, and potentially get that six spot. So that's how I think it's going to look ultimately when we are going to start the year. What, what about you? It's interesting because, you know, Mills has the no-hitter behind him, um, and you would think that that would give him the leg up that, you know, he's shown that he can do it. But, you know, he was proving himself in this last year. So, you know, it's Adbert, your guy, is is, is Williams. Um, I, I think Davies is probably going to slot in. It's number two from my perspective. But um, I think, you know, we may be surprised with who actually emerges because there have been some young arms that have been uh, coming on. But right now, if, if I was if I was a, a betting man, I would think it would be Hendricks, uh, Davies, uh, Arietta, um, and then probably uh, Alzale and, and Williams. I'm not sure if if if, if Mills makes the cut, but um, I can see him being somebody they're going to rely on heavily in this coming year. And I, I apologize. I said Terrence Williams, Trevor Williams is yeah. who I meant. But yes, to possibly see him as the guy that comes in. All right. So let us move on now to the third inning, Chad. And uh, this is good news for someone like yourself. The Cubs announced that when spring training opens, they're going to allow 25% capacity uh, in the seats. So I'm assuming that's a little over 1,500 fans, give or take. You know the capacity better than I do. So what do you make of this uh, potential of fans being back watching spring training games and someone like yourself who has season tickets? I know you deferred them, but knowing maybe for the future or for people that are going to go to the games, what does that mean for for people like that? It actually works out to about thirty five to forty two hundred. Uh, fans at a game because the, the capacity there is 15, 16,000. It's actually a good size stadium um, and, and always uh, breaks records for attendance each and every year. They somehow find ways to squeeze people in, but you know, they, I, not only did I defer the, the, the Sloan park and the, and the Mesa Cubs, they, they actually decided to have everybody defer. And so they refunded everybody, even the ones that wanted to stay, stay opted in. I have my chance this week to do pre-sale tickets. So I'm going to be interested, interested to see how many I can buy of how many games. Cause I think it's to be a hot ticket. Um, and people are going to want to watch baseball. I certainly am going to want to spend a few days down there and, and see as many games as I can. So, you know, I think 25% is, is right. Um, I'm going to be really excited as more and more people get vaccinated and we, we might be able to see, see more um, as the year goes on. I mean, the real question marks, what's going to happen at Wrigley Field. Um, but yeah, I, I won't have a concern being there. 
Um, I'm going to do what I've always done, which is I'm going to avoid the crowds and, and not be around a lot of people, wear the mask, do the things that I that I need to do to to, to just do my part to be safe. Um, but, yeah, I, I will be the first one in line. Uh, the, the pre-sale for the season ticket holders is uh, this coming week and I will be I'll be right on on board. Um, would you go, Ryan? Is that something that you would uh, you'd be interested? You're there in Florida. You have the ability to, to go see some games up and down the coast. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I want to correct myself. You, you were absolutely right. 15,000 person capacity. You're looking at about 3,500 people. So that's a nice crowd. Um, I would feel better, Chad, once I get the vaccine. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say that I've gotten one of the shots so far. I'm hoping to get the second one soon. So if I did have both shots and then went to the games responsibly, as you said, wearing a mask, being socially distant, because just because you have the vaccine, that still is not, you know, 100 percent immunity. Um, I would go to the games. I, I absolutely would. I would go to the game and, you know, wear the mask and, you know, try to enjoy myself as, as much as possible. I would like to try to get back to normalcy as much as I could. And if it allows me to do that once, you know, you're vaccinated 100 um, percent, I would do that. But I, I think this is great. It, it at least signals to some degree I understand it's at the end of the day trying to make money, but at least it signals people or the, you know, the world that we live in trying to get back to a place that we are familiar with and being familiar with being at ball games, seeing fans at ball games and having that, you know, normalcy, I think is just only going to make things um, a better situation as we head into the year. Absolutely. You know, Ryan, I'm so excited. We've got three more innings left until we have uh, Michael Wilbon, ESPN, part of the interruption, part two. Let's get moving. Fourth inning now. So the regular season schedule is out. They actually set the times. And interesting, um, the Cubs, maybe this is something, maybe a little mea culpa for the, the city. We always fight how many uh, night games there are. The Cubs actually are leaning heavily on more day games. So what do you make of that? Yeah, so it's interesting. There's going to be 47 home games, Chad. First pitch, which is scheduled for 120 Chicago time, uh, which would uh, be pretty cool. And that is also going to be opening day when the Cubs and the Pirates uh, square off at Wrigley. And, you know, certainly that's always been a, a prominent time, but I like it. I, I think it's great. And it could also mean that more national broadcasts are going to get picked up, too. Um, because the Cubs are going to be one of the few teams playing weekday day games. And so I think there's maybe more of an opportunity where we can see the Cubs on national television, whether that be on MLB Network or ESPN. You know, listen, I've always been a fan of the, the day games. Obviously, night games are great at Wrigley, too. But when you think of Cubs baseball, day games are, you know, certainly the norm. Um, so if this is an opportunity to... Um, give the Cubs more chances to be on TV, to play those day games, to, um, you know, also maybe have a little bit uh, more opportunities to, you know, get themselves out there uh, to, to play games uh, at a pace that's going to allow them to, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, just at least enjoy and, and, and feel like they're back in the swing of things. I'm all for it because last year in just the shortened season, we saw a lot more night games. So maybe this is just bringing that back to a little bit more regularity. What, what do you think on that? You know, I've said this before. If, if, if you're a friend of mine and we've talked about the Cubs, you've heard me say this exact statement. If there is a heaven, <laughs> if there is, 
for me, it's a series of Friday afternoon games with just a rotating collection of friends sitting beside me in my season tickets. That is my favorite thing in the world. All those Fridays where um, when I, you know, I lived in my place in Lakeview where, um, you know, I kept looking at the clock and I knew got to get all my work done by noon. And then once between noon and 1230 happens, I'd start booking it over uh, over uh, um, to uh, Wrigley and meeting up with a friend and seeing a game. So I, I love it. I love that. Uh, um, that, that there are day games. I can't wait to be at the park for some day games. I have my flights um, booked. I booked them months ago, um, flying in on March 31st. My hope is to be there. I don't have any expectation that I will be the lucky one that will be able to be there on opening day if they do allow crowds. But, you know, for me, day games, night games, I just want Pat Hughes in my ear if I'm not able to be there at Wrigley Field. I'm very, very much looking forward to it. All right. So let us move on now to the fifth inning here, Chad. And, of course, we always look forward to when the Pakoda numbers come out before the season starts. And if you are unfamiliar with what that is, of course, it is a program that projects the wins for every team going into the season. And the Cubs uh, were projected for 85 wins, which was good for second place in the NL Central. So just to uh, talk about who was where, Brewers projected with 89 Cubs 85, Cardinals 81, Reds 79, Pirates 61. Um, so, Chad, what do you think of the projections, A, for the Cubs, and B, for how the rest of the NL Central shakes out? It's so interesting because, obviously, they're expecting a huge bounce-back year for Yelich. I mean, I mean, that's obviously why they're, they're projecting the Brewers to be there. But, I mean, did these they make these projections before the Arenado trade? Um, for the Cardinals, I feel like it came out after that. So it's very bewildering to me. And, and, you know, I can take these projections, you know, you know, like, I don't, I don't really put a lot into it, but it's, it's basically the number crunchers. It's the nerds, the analytics that they look at all the, all the different stats. And they say, this is what should historically happen if we look into the future. And they've been pretty good sometimes. Um, and, and they've been dead on with the Cubs sometimes as well, even, even to the point where, you know, they had the Cubs underperforming in 19 and and you remember the Cubs had to collapse in 19 to pretty much finish very very much where Pakota thought they would so you know I think it's interesting um I do think it's going to be a close race um and there's going to be a lot of competition you have the Cardinals going all the way you think the the division's already already uh already done um but uh for me it's obviously they have a lot of weight on on Brewers pitching um, which is, has had shown, shown its strength and there and, and Kristen Yelich regaining his MVP form. What do you think? Listen, I'd be, I'd be ecstatic if the Cubs won 85 games this year. I, I don't think that number is crazy off. I, I think 82 to 85 is probably about right for this Cubs team. Um, the Brewers, you know, listen, like you said, I guess they're looking to see if Yelich is going to, you know, just blow up and potentially win the triple crown this year. The Cardinals, absolutely. I'm shocked about just at 81 wins. I, I, I mean, I think the Cardinals are the best team in the NL Central this year. They have solid pitching. They have the, you know, the offense. Adding Arenado, I think, is going to be huge. And then you put Goldschmidt in the lineup, obviously, uh, with them. This is a really good baseball team. But here's the one thing I'll say about the NL Central, and I think we can both agree on this. Other than the Pirates, I think any team is up for grabs to yeah. potentially win. Like, it wouldn't shock me. Do I think the Cardinals are... The, the hands-on favorite, absolutely. But would it shock me if the Reds ended up winning the division? No, probably not, because it is a dreadful division to begin with. And, and the Cubs offense and the Cardinals offense is 
you know, you put them side by side. I mean, again, and this is if the Cubs come to play, I think their offense is just as good as the Cardinals yeah. is. Yeah. It's just a matter of the, is the Cubs offense going to show up. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree the Brewers are the team to beat. I do think it's still the Cardinals. But I'm overall, I think 85 wins for the Cubs. I think that's a, a generous uh, gift. And, and I totally think that's a, a, a decent goal for this team to get to. And listen, 85 wins at the end of the day, Chad might end up winning the division. Yeah, and, and I didn't throw my projections out there, so I'll just really briefly say I actually think the 85 is is low. I you know, so many Cubs players are in contract years. Pitching's going to have a huge role. I I think 88 to 89 is where the Cubs are going to finish, but again, I'm always uh, stupidly optimistic, especially this time of year. Let's move on to the 6th inning. And I love that you put this in as an inning topic because it is pretty timely now where Mark Cuban, uh, one of the NBA owners, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, um, just wasn't playing the national anthem before his games. And then the NBA basically said, no, nope, you're going to do that. You're going to play it. But you posed the question, do we still need to play the anthem before sporting events? I'll let you take the first crack at this. You know, it's a tradition. And I understand where people come in and they say, well, why don't you do it before you go to work? Or why don't you do it when you go to a restaurant or a movie theater. You know, listen, <laughs> there's certain traditions that are just in play when you go to sporting events. And this is one of them. And I have no problem with it. Like, I enjoy it. And it gets you into the spirit of the game. And there is nothing more Americana than going to a major sporting event, whether it's baseball or football or basketball, whatever the case may be. And what's more America than baseball? So as far as my opinion goes for what it's worth. I like having the, the national anthem being sung before a game. It gets me excited. It, it brings me closer to the game. And you know what? There's nothing better when you hear a beautiful singer like a Wayne Mesmer for that matter <laughs> to sing the national anthem before a game to get you really jacked up. So I really hope that this is an anomaly and I hope that we continue to play it. Cause for me, it, it's important. It's not just about, symbolism of our country it's just a tradition of what we do when we go to sporting events and for that matter there is nothing wrong with that yeah i uh, you, you know where i'm going to fall on this i mean you you know and the listeners as well if they heard my interview with with wayne mesmer i mean i love it it's it's a it's very special what i will share with you is i appreciate the fact that it's different for baseball now on opening day you've got all the lineups out there and everybody's standing at attention down the foul lines um, and everybody's out there and, and they're there for the pomp and circumstance. They do the same thing in the playoffs as well, but on regular games, you've got guys stepping up from the bullpen and standing at attention. You have people in the clubhouse, you have people in the batting cages getting extra to swings in. And so it's not as formal, you know I mean? That, that's where we get into this whole thing about like, you know, the whole, the whole aspect of kneeling and, and social, you know, you know, make, making a stand during this moment in time, baseball wasn't always everybody stand at attention. And for, and I guess the thing that, you know, it's diving into this, this topic, because this is what I was really thinking about when I thought about this, this inning, you know, for the people that say, Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's sacrilegious, you know, we're, we're, you're, you're, it's an insult to America. If you do anything, but stand to attention, I just, you know, I've been in the concourse so many times where people are fun, fumbling with their hot dog or their beer. They're acting like they're not hearing the national anthem when they're trying to get a, a one more drink order in, you know, before. And so, I, you know, I, I would hope everybody that, that, that is taking a stance on the, the national anthem, they, they, they stand up from their lazy boom and they're watching the game at home when Wayne's singing and they're standing in attention and, and put their hand over their heart because I don't think people are doing that. But, yeah, it needs to go on. It needs to continue. Um, just like the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field, it is a part 
of baseball, and there's nothing more exciting than uh, the exhilaration, especially on those special days when they've got like the flyovers and the other things where, um, you know, the whole stadium is just uh, pridefully excited about uh, America and what it stands for, because at times it can be pretty special. The boys will be right back with part two of their interview with Michael Wilbon. But first, a quick word from Federalist Wines. Chad, the new baseball season is finally here, and I, for one, can't wait for the game to get started once again. You know, it gets us closer to the summer, so let's pour a glass of something tasty and toast that new baseball season. That's right, and why not pour some delicious Federalist wine? It's the perfect wine to have with any meal or just enjoy on its own. Yep, but you can pair it also with a steak, burger, and fries. It doesn't matter because... The Federalist Wine is an American wine crafted for the only tasting note that matters, and that's a damn good taste. It's a bold choice with baseball or any sport. You can pair it with any food you desire. If you go to uncork.com and use the code CUBS20, you can get 20% off your purchase. This is Federalist Wine. This is an American craft wine, so go to uncork.com, use the promo code CUBS20, and get 20% off your purchase. Must be 21 years or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. With February being Black History Month and, you know, certain steps that you were talking about need to be taken by Major League Baseball. In, in your opinion, though, what what has Major League Baseball done that you feel like has been good? Um, I, I point to maybe like the uh, Negro Leagues and how they have been so uh, amazing about recognizing the league now even more so and including them in the statistics. And then what are still things, and, and you kind of touched on it in your last answer, maybe a little more about what they still need to do to bring in more African-American players into the league or to introduce the sport to more kids who would love the sport for that matter? Yeah, it's a great question. And part of that, they just they made a great hire with Ken Griffey Jr. Um, and, and there's so many other people who have helped in this effort. Um, but 25 and 30 years ago, they were fighting against, I mean, like a hurricane because it just wasn't, this, it wasn't a sort of real concern. And there has been real concern. Um, you just mentioned, there's one thing you just mentioned, it's both. I, I can use it as the one example, both sides of the coin. I mean, Major League Baseball should have done what it did with the Negro League statistics 20, 30 years ago. And I can't believe it wouldn't have been suggested. I mean, there were people who have been in Major League Baseball front offices, like Jimmy Lee Solomon, who isn't anymore, but who was one of the great human resources um, in my way of thinking. And there, there, there are a handful of people like that who – you know, they, they, their minds needed to be mined for, for ideas, and, and some of these things should have been implemented. Uh, and so Major League Baseball did it, which is a good thing. It did it year, decades late, which is a bad thing. I'm glad they did it. I, I'm not a, I, I don't believe that, you know, it's too late to do it. It's late, but it's not too late. Um, and so, there, but we could, you know, we could go through things like that. Um, but I, I think the actual... The way the game is played is what bothers me as, as, as much as what we just talked about. And this whole notion of me being angry about put the ball in play. Instead of every single hitter trying to launch a home run. I mean, that's not – the entire Cobb wouldn't have existed. 
Mm-hmm. The whole first four, baseball history would start with like Ruth's sixth season, <laughs> right? I mean, so yep. all these other so, and and what's more exciting than people on base? They're not on base, trying to figure out what to do. You know, I used to sit with my son when he was playing and starting to play. And I'd, I do it now too. If we're at a game and we go to lots of postseason baseball, first in Chicago to see the Cubs. You know, he came to see the Cleveland games. He, you know, we we've gone to Washington games every year, including I, I don't know if he was at the game. No, they get clinched on the road. But I, we sit when there are people on base, and I go, okay, where's the cutoff going to? You know, what do you do if you're the pitcher? Are you looking him back? Are you throwing over? What happens with first and third? Does the catcher throw through the second base to stop a guy trying to steal um, with less than two out? What do you what do you do here? And you don't have any of that if guys are just trying to launch, and the launch angle is all that matters. Yep. And it doesn't make the game better. It's crap to say that makes the game better. It may make it more marketable for a few people, but were the game not marketable, even though they weren't marketing geniuses, to see Minnie Minoso on, on, on the base path, to see, to see Jackie Robinson on the base path? Hell, let's modernize it somewhat to see Ricky Henderson on the base path, this wasn't Pete Rose. This wasn't exciting, and so I just I I, I find myself um, <laughs> withdrawing yeah. from conversation because I get so angry with people who don't believe what I believe, um, or who don't at least entertain the notion that today's baseball isn't the only form. In fact, it's an inferior form of entertainment. Inferior. If I got to see a three-and-a-half, a three-hour and 50-minute three National League game where there were eight pitchers used on one team, that's an inferior entertainment product. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're looking for a Cubs podcast, I will promise you that none of our innings ever deal with analytics. It's not in our world. So if I may, I know we're, we're coming up on our time. I'd like to ask you the question. Put on your Cubs hat as a fan. What are you feeling right now? This has been uh, an unremarkable uh, off season, I think to say the least, yep. it's been an eye opening off season with some of the cost cutting measures. How are you feeling about this team? Are you feeling like they're they're throwing in the towel for the rebuild now, or do you feel like there's glimmers of hope because the the offensive uh, the offense and, and the lineup on the field still largely is a lot of big names, but they sure don't have anybody on the mound right now. So how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, this is a year. I'm, I'm taking a deep breath and just saying, okay, I've, I've been on pins and needles for. Uh, since 15. So 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and even 20 because I got off to the good start. So six seasons, I'm on pins and needles. I am uh, making my wife crazy because I've got um, the television is always inches from me on a phone now. Hmm. I mean, 15, 16, 17, I just, I don't care where we were at dinner. We could have been at the White House and I was going to snatch out a phone, which would have angered President number 44. He's a White Sox fan. Uh, Barack Obama. And I had to take a lot of grief for that. Um, We went back and forth. And I even, I had communication with him recently and I said, I'm going to root for the White Sox this summer because they're going after something. We're, we're not going after it. Look, I I am, I'm never going to be anything but Cubs first and pitching can emerge. I mean, look, we had proven entities on the mound for the last, since 15 and we got one. And that's the, the disappointment for me is that we didn't get a second one or get to a second one. Not, not, not that, you know, I hate seeing Theo Lee. That may be the biggest disappointment. But we, we, we didn't get close enough to the second one. And um, 
So now I'm just taking a breath. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm shutting it down. If they can shut it down, I can shut it down. Yeah. So I'm going to sort of shut it down. I'm going to watch games and be much more leisurely about it the way I was the previous, you know, 57 years of my life. I'm, I'm going to, whenever we can go back to the ballpark, I will go sit in my usual, you know, area of seating, preferred area. But I'm not going to um, check every inning every day like I did for those years. Um, I'm not going to be on pins and needles. I'm not going to be nuts. And I'm going to watch more White Sox games. I'm going to watch more White Sox games. Kenny Williams is a dear friend. Um, I am. I'm going to, and so is Doc Rivers. All these, all these White Sox guys now I got to deal with. But I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to root for them. I told Doc Rivers that the other day, and he said he's going to faint dead away. <laughs> Doc Rivers is another, another guy who, yeah. you know, died in the world White Sox fan. I'm sure you guys know that. Yeah. And I've been taking grief for them for years. And I said, I'm not even going to give you guys grief back. I'm going to. Because you know what? I grew up there. I grew up on the south side. I grew up going to that, to 35th and Shields. I don't know what it's called now. Uh, to Comiskey Park. I'm never going to call it whatever that guaranteed loan. I'm never calling it that. And uh, I'm going to, I don't know if I can go there this summer. I don't know if that'll be allowed. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to quietly golf clap, polite golf clap route for the White Sox this summer. And, you know, if the Cubs start to over overperform, then I will be out of my mind again. I'll go back on everything I just said and be an obnoxious fool um, for as long as the Cubs stay connected with the other teams uh, in, the, in the division. It's so funny you say that, Mike, because Chad and I have debates back and forth. I kind of am like that, saying, hey, is it okay if I cheer for the White Sox a little bit this year, knowing what we've seen from the North side? So I, I, I'm on your side on that. I just want the record to show, Mike. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Hey, well, I you know what it is. I mean, White Sox fans, look, I can say this because I'm a Southsider. There ain't a whole lot of gracious behavior going on <laughs> from the South side to the North when it comes to ball teams. Okay. Sure. I can say that because I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of the offending party, but I'm not paying them any attention. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take the high road and I am, I'm going to, you know, every day I'm going to start off whenever the season starts, I'm going to start off um, looking at White Sox games. Yeah. I, I am. I, I'm excited to sort of see what they put together. I don't know that it's enough. You know, sometimes I look at the, just the makeup of the team and I wonder, you know, whether that will work. You look at, you look at any team and wonder that you always, you know, you don't ever know, that the makeup is going to go, the guys are going to love each other so much or have the kind of chemistry that will work. So I'm hoping that works. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, you know, when, when the Cubs and White Sox, I mean, when the White Sox and, 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 and the Astros were playing in the World Series in 2005, my co-host, my dear friend and co-host, Tony Kornheiser, asked me on the show, he said, before the White Sox quenched that night, he said, are you going to root for the other team? I said, Tony, the other team is always one not wearing Chicago on its chest. You think I'm going to root for a team that says Houston over a team that says Chicago? That would make you a fool. And that's always the case for me. If the White Sox play late into the summer, I am going to – I usually go. I also have a great relationship with uh, the front office and and particularly Jerry Reinsdorf, who has been so gracious to invite me out to take part in things – and charitable events and community events. And I try to say yes to every one of them and I will go happily and even stay for a game. And I'm not saying I'm going to put on a Jersey. If I do, it's got to be either Louis Aparicio 
or Minnie Minoso. That's as far <laughs> as I can go. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to rule it out. Hey, Mike, we'll leave it with that. I mean, listen, we could obviously talk to you for another three hours, but we know you're up against uh, getting ready for your show. But uh, somebody who's a friend of our show now, who we've had the honor also of bringing on, is George Will. Um, we had Mr. Will join us on an episode, and I'm curious, is he's your cohort at the – oh, my God, that was a thrill too. And, and he's your cohort at the Post. I'm curious if you guys – how often, if at all, you guys interact and talk Cubs baseball when you guys are at the paper together? Well, well, his office was elsewhere. Mine was on the fifth floor with everybody else. Um, and let me, I'll just I'll tell you a quick story. So there were times, a couple of times, Georgia sent me notes, just a little, a little handwritten note on, on stationery saying, I love that. It, it, it's been about baseball. I think each time and it's, it happened three or four years and years ago when I was covering, covering baseball, which I, which I really don't do anymore. And, but I'll tell you this. So the first postseason game the Cubs had played in my lifetime. So this is September of 1984. Um, I guess the San Diego Padres. Um, I sat in Wrigley field in the auxiliary press box. And I'm sure this was done purposely by somebody who was older and knew all of our histories and the history of what we'd written and, and, and what we believed in and what moved us. I was seated next to George Will for the first two games, opening two games of that series, which is because of course won both games. Um, with Rick Sutcliffe pitching game one, I think game one was 13 to nothing. Yeah. And I sat next to George Will. And it's, it's one of the great highlights, professionally speaking of my life to sit next to George Will at Wrigley Field in October, leaves having already turned gold and rust and red and whatever else they were, it was a, the lifetime. And he won't remember. He didn't. He probably didn't know who I was. So that I was 25 years old the day that game that day was played. Yes, I've been working for the Washington Post for four years, and I've been a sports writer for all four of those years. I don't. I don't think I wouldn't. Bet, I would bet against George Will knowing who I was. It was a thrill for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I've look. I've read George Will my whole life. And even though we are largely on opposite sides of the political aisle, I love his writing, went to school literally on his writing and just the way he wrote columns. And I wanted to be a columnist. And there are people who I read in Chicago every day, like George Will, like Mike Royko, like the guys in sports, but Royko and Bob Verde and all the great columnists of the time, Bob Green, that I was growing up there that I read and sort of stole and incorporated things from them. And so George Will is one of those people. And uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I ever sat next to him at a sporting event again, but I sat, I sat next to him in those two games. And once again, our thanks to Michael Wilbon in part two of our interview with him. And Chad, such a thrill. You can find Mike on Twitter at Real Mike Wilbon. You can find Chad and I on Twitter as well. We don't have as many followers, but Chad is <laughs> at the Chad Gordon. I am at Ryan D. Lieber. And, of course, don't forget about our Facebook page, the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. We would love to interact with you. So certainly be sure to check us out and join the group. We would love to hear from you as we move on to the eighth inning. What a, And what a fun interview. We love that we broke that out into, into two parts. Um, I had so many friends, listeners, that said that was one of my absolute favorite ones. So... So excited for them to get their reaction on part two because, you know, Wilbon just had so much great things to share. So let's 
let's move on to the eighth inning. And uh, can I just say something really quick, Chad? I really want to just get this in there. Michael, the great thing about Michael, and then we'll, I, I don't mean to take this away, but the great thing about Michael, we know he's a diehard Cubs fan and he knows so much about the Cubs, but he knows so much about everything and not just sports. I mean, he, he could go on any podcast, any sports radio station, any television station, and literally, I think, talk about any franchise to at least a intelligent degree about anything or politics or whatever it may be. So it, it was such a thrill because, like you said, you hang on every word he says. He, he really is incredible. So I'm glad that everybody really enjoyed the interview. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I love it. And, and I love that we, we now have two of the stars of the Washington Post this year with uh, George Will <laughs> last season and then Michael Wilbon. I'm just bummed we couldn't get uh, um, Woodward and Bernstein. You know, yeah, well, they, they're coming they, up know. next. We'll get them. <laughs> I, I, I think one of them passed away, though. I have, to, I have to get Peyton to fact check that. I think Bernstein passed away. But anyway, let's move on to the eighth inning. And uh, goodness, Clayton Kershaw put the Cubs on blast, ripping into Cubs leadership, ownership rather, um, on them dealing away you Darvish for a bevy of not really well-known prospects. I can't say I disagree with the thought, but uh, what do you think about that is um, Clayton getting a little salty about the Cubs. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Clayton Kershaw has got to do what Clayton Kershaw has got to do, right? He's there defending the player because what he feels is that if he sees more teams trading away talent or, you know, dropping salary, that there's not going to be that competitive edge for players to get the kind of contracts that they want or need. So I understand what he's doing and it's just posturing to the players to make sure they get their money. And I, I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, listen, the Cubs have decisions they have to make, even though they may not be popular, even though they're decisions that you and I may not like, um, they're a business. And while it's frustrating sometimes as a business to do that, they're more concerned with bottom line. Whereas Clayton Kershaw has got to protect um, the player's best interest. So I understand where he's coming from. Um, but, you know, I think it's more about making sure his fellow player is getting um, the type of money that they deserve more so than it is about competitive balance in, in Major League Baseball. At least that was my takeaway. What, what do you think? You know, it's 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 representing the players and the players association. And I get it. It makes a lot of sense. It's not a good look for baseball for a number three market uh, club to cut payroll. And that's really what this was. This was an effort to cut payroll. And now the front office and, and Jed would basically say, Hey, now we've loaded up. We've got some potential superstars in the mix. And we don't know. We don't know for years if any of these guys are going to be superstars. Um, but what they did do is they punted on you Darvish after a year where arguably he could have won the Cy Young, if he had a little bit of a stronger finish and look at, you know, what Trevor Bauer, you know, the, the value he has. So, you know, really you Darvish's uh, contract would be a bargain compared to what Bauer just uh, just signed to join Clayton for the Dodgers. So um, I get it. I think you're going to see more of this, especially as the, the owners and the players continue on with their negotiations. I don't think they're negotiating right now, but as they move towards what could be a potential stoppage, um, work stoppage uh, um, here after this coming season. Um, and I think you're going to see more outspoken uh, players talk about this. This is not good for baseball. And the fact that the Cubs can't, you know, not only try to compete and win now, but also find ways to reload as well. Um, I just think that's a miss by the front office and I'm hoping I'm wrong, hoping they see something or know something about you Darvish. And there's going to, you know, they think there's going to be some sort of regression and they're selling high. That's what the hope yeah. is. And maybe there's a, there's some star in this prospect mix. 
Yeah. Or at the end of the day, you just got to sell high on a guy, if, especially if this team wasn't good enough to win a World Series. Why be stuck in that neutral mode? So we'll have to see. By the way, I also have good news for you. Uh, both Woodward and Bernstein, both very healthy and alive. Ah, so, sorry, I killed uh, off. Uh, I killed off Carl. Sorry about that, Carl. I, I yeah. apologize. They're, they're well, you know what? Hey, hold on, hold on. Let's get him. Let's get him. All right. All right. Let's see. We'll we'll try to see if we can figure that out and try to get them on. We'll continue our lineage of Washington Post reporters to see if they'll come on our show. Uh, So let's let's finish off here, Chad, as we finish with the ninth inning. So we started at the top with Jake Arrieta. We'll finish the show with Jake Arrieta. Um, certainly his 2015 season was one for the record books. When you look at what he posted and what he did and what he was able to do for this Cubs franchise. So you think of all the great pitchers that the Cubs have had in, in the, um, over 100 years of this franchise. And it begs the question, did Jake Arrieta have the greatest pitching season ever? You got to think back here. Did he have the greatest pitching season ever for a Chicago cup? Where do you stand on that? Right. I mean, if you don't go from game one to game 162, and but you actually look from a one-year period, he had one of the greatest runs as a pitcher in the history of all of Major League Baseball. And we're talking 150-some years, or 150 years, I think. Um, he had a sub-one ERA over a 29-start stretch that went from June 21st in 2015 to May 20th, 2016. I know that's not a full calendar year, but he was 24-1. and one. He had two no-hitters during that span. His only loss came in 15 in the middle of July or the end of July when the Cubs were no-hit by Cole Hamels. That's the only time he ever lost. So he could have went 30-0 and if it wasn't for the no-hitter. That is, that is arguably the greatest stretch by any pitcher in the history of, of, of baseball. And it was incredible. I, 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 I put that famous tweet when, when the Cubs brought him back in um, on, on uh, the Cubs uh, Friendly Confines Facebook page where, you know, the night before uh, the Pirates, you know, wild card game um, where the Cubs made that improbable run to get to 98 wins to take on the 99 win, uh, Pirates in that 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 uh, uh, that that one game wild card play in. And uh, and Jake, you know, to summarize basically says, you know, whatever you guys have to think, but just know it doesn't matter. In other words, I'm going to win this thing and there's nothing you can do about it. The cockiness, the swagger, the confidence was not off-putting because he absolutely earned it. And it was one of the most incredible runs. I was lucky enough, you know that, I was lucky enough to see his first no-hitter um, in, uh, in, uh, in, in L.A. at Dodger Stadium on a whim, was up there and was able to see that. And it's just watching him, it's just you felt unbeatable. You felt like, okay, the offense is going to score at some point because the pitching is going to back you up. It was just a special time that he was such a special talent. I'm not sure we'll ever see it again. Uh, it, it was an incredible year, but I'm going to argue that this was the greatest season ever in Cubs history with a couple of uh, different um, suggestions. And, and it, again, this is obviously all conjecture and opinion, but um, I'm going to take us back to 1909, Chad. Um, three finger Mordecai Brown went 27 and nine in 1909 with a 131 ERA in 50 games. He started 34 games, completed 32, um, finished, uh, yeah, and and he struck out 172 and walked 53 in 342 and two third innings. I mean, hello. How is that even a thing? Now, again, I understand this is a completely different era. 
in a completely different ball. Like a different game sport that back playing. then. But if we're talking about greatest of all time, and I did span it the entire franchise, um, I'm going to go with that one. Now, I'm going to bring this into the fray as well. Fergie Jenkins season in 1971. Oh, yeah. He went 24-13. and 13. He had a higher ERA, a 2.77 ERA, literally a run higher than Jake did in 2015. But he struck out 263 batters, Chad. He walked 37 batters in 325 Incredible. innings. Yeah. And he completed 30 games in 39 starts. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, and in the middle of a streak of six straight 20-win campaigns that he had at that point. So that specific season, though, I'm going to go Brown 1, Fergie 2, <laughs> and then I'm going to go Jake 3. And I'm taking I, nothing away from Jake because I understand the game is so much different. Yeah. But I'm the type of guy who I miss the complete game. I miss pitchers throwing 300-plus innings. I mean, we haven't seen that since 1980, believe it or not. And I miss seeing how pitchers finished what they started. I'm taking nothing away from Jake Arrieta. He had a, probably one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen. But if you're talking about over the course of this franchise, I'm going to put Three Finger Brown and Fergie's ahead of Jake Arrieta. I, I you know, listen, no debate here. Mordecai, amazing. It was a completely different sport back then. You know, they're they're not throwing 98 mile an hour pissers, you know, and and doing the things they do. And it's just different ball, different equipment, different everything. But I do love Fergie. I think, I mean, just you know, we're still trying so hard to get him on the show, and and we've talked to him a couple times. Um, but yeah, that that season, absolutely. I'll just stand by what I said, which is what I said was. I'm taking half seasons. I mean, his Cy Young season is fantastic. It stands alone. Jake Arrieta's does. Um, but yeah, but it, the, the period of that calendar year, not calendar year, but like half season, half season, nobody in baseball has ever done anything like that. But, uh, and here's the quote, here's the tweet. Um, when they, they said they were basically letting the Cubs know that there's going to be a sea of black and, you know, and because the pirates get to host it. And Jake says, whatever helps you keep your hope alive, just know, <laughs> It doesn't matter. Oh, the yeah. balls. I love it. The balls. <laughs> so true. So true. Well, with that, that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Confines. Once again, our thanks to Michael Wilbon. Such a thrill. And Chad, spring training is here, buddy. Next week, we're going to talk about the Cubs actually playing some games and hitting the field. So that's going to be exciting. Can't wait. Sports, Can't wait. Sports, Chad, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. See you at the ballpark, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed The first time you walk into Wrigley I'm George Will, and you're listening to the Friendly Confines Podcast with Chad and Ryan. Hey, everyone. I'm Chad Gordon. And I'm Ryan Lieber. We're the hosts of the Friendly Confines Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans' perspective with some of the biggest names in sports. Joe Buck, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it. Pat Hughes, welcome to the seventh inning. Happy to be here, Chad. It is Len Casper. You got it, Ryan. Chad, happy to be with you guys. The Hawk, Andre Dawson. Well, it's my distinct pleasure. I'm doing fine, thank you. 
We're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the Barroom Network. So if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. Everybody, this is Ryan Dempster, and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. <laughs>